Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to episode number five here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest today is Scott Johnson. Scott and I met a little while back while riding out at Chris Cox's place. Scott's a fifth-generation California cattle rancher and the founder of Crown Valley Youth Ranch in Tulare County. Now, in this episode, Scott explains what could have been the most important investment of his life, the repurchase of a single publication of Western Horsemen, and how that publication not only changed Scott's life, but the life of the children who are served by his youth ranch. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to would mean the world to us. You can find us on social media, both Facebook and Instagram, at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Scott Johnson. Scott, thank you very much for making the trip out here today to uh, Let Freedom Reign, and this is one of our first podcast episodes here in studio, so it's always nice to talk to another human being in person and and not do things over the phone. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, looking forward to sharing my story. Good stuff. So Scott and I met, oh, has it been almost two years ago now? Uh, but yeah, about a year and a half probably. Yeah, yeah, we were out at Chris Cox Place in, in Mineral Wells in a horsemanship program out there, and being two guys from California, we kind of had to defend ourselves and prove that not everybody from California are hippies, and we don't all eat granola, and some of us are founded in faith and hard work. So it's quite a cross to bear. Exactly. So after enduring that task alone, uh, we became friends, and and I think he has an amazing story and an amazing testimony, and you guys will be able to hear some of it today. So, Scott, let's uh, first introduce yourself. I mean, you're a fifth generation cattle rancher, and and that comes with a lot of history and heritage. So, if you don't mind, maybe giving your start and telling your story in the in the cattle business. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was, uh, like you said, uh, about a five-generation cattle rancher from Tulare County, California, which is kind of the central part of the state on the eastern side of the Sierras there. So I've uh, been doing that a long time. My family's been doing that a long time, and uh, it's kind of a, kind of our family identity, I guess you could say, that everybody around there knows what we do and what we've done it and how we do it, too. So, so yeah, I grew up on a ranch and grew up working cattle horseback. That's always a challenge, you know, working with family, working with people that can't be fired is always... Yeah, I was going to say, family <laughs> probably more of a hurdle than the cattle are. That's, that's right. They're just as wild as the cattle. So, But uh, that was, you know, a lot of challenges along that route. We did everything on horseback. There was always five or six of us on horses doing the cattle work. So really to give you an idea what it was like back then when I was a kid, uh, it was, in a word, it was terrible. It was, it was really hard. We didn't know anything about horses meaning we didn't understand how they thought or learned or anything like that. So we were, it was very brutal working with horses. It was very, uh, it, it wasn't uh, very gentle at all. Horses saw us as their adversary and they were trying to buck you off, bite you, kick you, hurt you, anything, any way they could. So, and that's all we knew. We didn't know any different. And growing up that way, uh, it makes for a really, really, really long day when you're riding a horse that you don't know which moment they're going to blow up yeah, and things are going to fall apart. We had one family member that was actually my grandfather's brother, and he was kind of like the family horse trainer. And he was kind of where we learned all this stuff from. And he was not gentle. He, would, he knew there was large areas in a horse that he did not understand. And he knew there was another way, but he didn't know how to get there. I started hanging out with him probably when I was about 12 and started riding young horses, learning as best I could. It was really difficult. Like I said, it was just a, a day, you know, riding, riding a horse for six or eight hours a day, wondering which moment he's going to fall apart and try to hurt you. Or there could be several times a day that that happens makes for a very, very long day. At the end of that day, you're just exhausted because you're just a ball of nerves. So Anyway, I was just fascinated how some people could get so much more done on a horse than other people could. And I could I even knew it back then when I was a kid. I knew there was something 
there was a lot to this whole horse training thing. And at the time, even though we were doing what we could, I would say breaking them, we were breaking them, breaking their spirit is the only way we could get by on them. And to be honest, a lot of horses didn't make it. You know, we sold the horse because the horse was wrong. There was something wrong with the horse. And so we would sell a horse because it was bucking too much or something like that. When we could have been a better horseman and try to understand what's making that happen, that action and the result and headed it off. But, you know, we didn't want to point any of the finger at us. We'd rather point the finger at the horse. So do you think at 12 years old, you said you all didn't know much about horses when you were, when you were right. working on the ranch. Right. And, and now you're talking about 12 years old, you're starting to have that realization. Right. Do you think that would be the turning moment in your horse journey? No. That, that... Uh, that didn't come until about eight years later. Okay. So, yeah, 12 years old, I was just hanging out, riding horses. And the only thing that helped me a lot is I could ride them when they buck. Okay. Most of the time. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> There's no such thing as yeah. every time yeah. or all the it's time. It's not an absolute standard no. there. <laughs> but... Uh, more times than not, it worked okay where I could stay on them. When I was about 14, I made a decision for Christ. I became a Christian and started on that walk also and that journey too. So something that was just, I don't know, something inside of me just said, I, I have to do this kind of thing. This is very important. And I did. I made a decision when I was about 13 or 14 for to, to be a Christian. I think a lot of people doing that, they don't know what that really means till exactly. later. So, uh, but anyway, I was totally committed to going to church, learning, reading my Bible, that kind of thing. Fast forward about probably seven or eight years. When I was 20 years old, my parents sent me to a class in San Luis Obispo, California, to a guy that was teaching horsemanship. And they paid for my class, my, you know, my tuition and lodging and everything. I was, ex I was real excited about going because I heard a lot of stuff about this guy. And you had to bring your own horse. And I brought a horse. I brought, I brought a three-year-old mare that had never been touched before. Oh, Lord. Yeah, she was big. <laughs> she looked like something out of a Charlie Russell painting. He doesn't say that's going to make for a long clinic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, never even had a rope on her. We lose her to her over there in a trailer. And they uh, got got in this class, and uh, the gentleman halter broke her, got a saddle on her, and then run around this big arena a couple times with the saddle on and she was bucking and doing her thing and and then the next day he tells everybody that you're going to ride that horse the next day with nothing on the head and i'm thinking yeah right yeah well, no i'm not me. yeah <laughs> i don't know who you're talking to but it's not me yeah but um so and, and watching this guy for the first couple of days work with horses he was getting horses like mine to do anything he wanted and they were willingly doing that, which was very foreign to me. I, I couldn't understand how they really were just, seemed, he, he seemed to understand how to connect with them. And I had never seen that before. Next day, got on this horse, rode her. She went bucking. I got bucked off. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he told me, and he told me, he was right. He goes, well, you're expecting that. He didn't, she didn't let you down. And uh, that is an interesting concept right, in itself. right. <laughs> That can go a lot of different ways. Yeah. And, uh, but in five days, this clinic lasts five days. And five days later, I was riding this horse going anywhere I wanted, however fast I wanted, in complete control. And she loved me. She absolutely loved me. And I had never experienced that before in my life. And I realized then that I don't know anything about horses. Yeah. I don't know anything. And I'm starting all over. Oh, it's funny because I think in, in my journey, the, the old adage, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Couldn't be more true when it comes to horsemanship. That's right. Right. And, and what really impressed me in this clinic was he kept telling, the, the, the guy that taught it kept telling me, he kept telling everybody, we're not talking about horses. We're talking about how you live your life, how you relate to other people, how you try to understand where other people are coming from. Because that's all he was doing with the horses. He understood where they were coming from, what they needed, and he could help them with what they needed. He could give them that, make them feel secure. And then they would trust you, and those suckers would climb a telephone pole for him. Yeah. You know? And that was really interesting. So at that class, and this was in 1984, at that class, on the very last day, I had some kind of idea or maybe a vision or something that I thought, you know what? This is really cool. And I, I could see how this could be a ministry or something like that. Like, like I don't know how, what, how this would work. But I think if you taught kids to ride a horse, to relate with a horse, 
I could see a lot of biblical principles there. I could see grace, love, mercy, forgiveness, all in that horse, Yeah, all in that relationship. And it's a, it's a two-way relationship. It's not like now, it's not like the master and slave like before. Now it's a willing partnership. And it was just like a light switch going off. Yeah. And it was really interesting. And I thought, you know, that, that could really teach kids a lot. And so at the time I was 20 years old and I pursued this really hard for about a week because I'm 20 years old. Yeah, I was going to say, and then the next, the next shiny <laughs> thing rolled yeah, in front of you. Now and... we're back to, you know, <laughs> girls and money and everything yeah, else. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. it wore off real quickly. Yeah. And so uh, that was the first idea. I had something like, I, this could be something someday. So time passes, and I'm working on this stuff as much as I can. And, and a lot of it is just introspective, you know, looking, doing something with your horse. Why did that happen? How did that happen? You know, kind of figure out what happened before that happened. Exactly. So, um, you know, I was writing a lot. I was trying to go to, uh, I didn't have the money to really attend many clinics and stuff like that or advance my knowledge, but um, I was still working at it as tough as hard as I could. And then uh, found my wife, got married. Things, you know, start changing as you get married. And something happened in my, in my life that I, I never anticipated happening. So when you work on a family ranch, you know, you work closely with, your parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, everybody like that. Uh, my whole life, I've been very close to my dad. Very close. I mean, he knew if it was three in the morning and we something's happening, he's got to go and he needs help. I'm the guy he's going to call. I'm the guy he's going to wake up in the bedroom. And I, man, I hit the ground running. I'm like, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the truck. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was there. So uh, anyway, something happened that I never imagined. And I had a fight with my dad. And over something stupid, like, you know, like a mule, Mm -hmm. you know, who else would fight over that? Like every father-son relationship (laughs) that's probably ever existed. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, but this really hurt because I was so close. Yeah. I felt betrayed. I felt angry. I felt, I felt pretty, uh, pretty upset with the whole situation. I felt used Mm -hmm. is what I really, you know, and that really turned ugly within a year or two. Well, right away, the relationship changed and then... After that, for four or five years, and I at was, this point, he's still involved in the cattle business yeah, as well. Right. I'm still working for him. Okay, you know, and so things. Uh, it just like I said, this had never crossed my mind that something like this would happen. So I was angry. I kind of gave up on life. I can't. I I lost a lot of hope, you know, from this relationship being damaged like that. So you know, I turned to drugs and alcohol. I was just trying to. I was angry. I was mad. You know, suicidal, all that kind of stuff, just because this fell apart. Yeah. So. Uh, I was not a nice person to be around. I was angry, just ticked all the time, uh, not wanting to talk, that kind of thing. Getting worse. Yeah, kind of removing yourself from society. and Right, right. Just want to check out, yeah. you know. So eventually my family said, look, you know, you need help. You know, my wife, you know, you need help. This is, this cannot go on. So went to a Christian counselor, which I thought, what, what in the world does that have to do with anything? So it turned out to be really great. Um, that was really another turning point is, you know, he really showed me that I was the one that was wrong. I, my perspective was wrong. Yeah. Uh, and that changed everything. I had a lot of things to be thankful for, but I wasn't. I had a lot of things to live for. And so uh, it kind of just took that whole burden off of me. God still loved me. God still forgave me from all the horrible things I've done. And I've done some horrible things. He forgave me. And there's not a soul that walks this earth that's immune to it. That's right. That's right. So, man, came out of that really on fire, like involved in church. You know, it's like, man, I'm so thankful for to what God has done for me. I'm going, I want to do something. I don't know what, but I want to do something to say thanks, yeah. you know, to serve. Yeah. And so uh, I found a church, got involved in a church. I was serving in a program called Awana, which takes kids like from oh, preschool up to through high school. It's it's a Bible verse um, memorization thing. Yeah, we have they, the program here right, at our local right. church. It's huge. It's yeah. huge. It's all over. So I was there. I was listening to kids give verses. I was doing these young kids called Cubbies. They're four, five, and six years old. Oh, They're yeah. so cute. Oh my gosh, they're so cute. And uh, just eating that up. And then the next year, I was like leader of that group of kids. I was like the director of that little area. So I had all these kids I was in charge of. It was it was wonderful. It was amazing. Loved it. Uh, started serving in the church in the administration also uh, on different boards. And I 
started really wanting to help out in like my community. I, I was involved in one organization that helped people get like resources, like get the electricity turned on, things like that, and then try to get them in a, into a church and things like that and spread the gospel. And I just, it wasn't a fit. It, I didn't feel like we were being effective in helping our community. Mm-hmm. So about, I'd say about five years ago, God just started working on my heart and started changing things. And I saw an article in a uh, magazine called Western Horseman. And oh, it's so a, I got a whole stack of them sitting I, in the I house know. right now. I collect them too. I got this huge <laughs> stack and like, and and so I saw this article in Western Horseman, and it was about this ranch in New Mexico, and they were taking troubled high school boys and putting them on horses, and they were having some success. It was boy; these boys were learning about anger, manage anger management. Uh, responsibility, and just a lot of good stuff, Uh, care for the horse, caring for something other than themselves. And it was a state-run organization. And I I, I read the article like three times, and I thought, man, there's something missing. And they're making some headway, they're making some changes in some lives, but I thought they're just this close to making some eternal differences yeah, in their lives. Yeah, busting it wide open. Right. I mean, I thought, man, you got to you gotta just finish the deal and bring in the gospel. But they were state-run. They couldn't do that. Yeah. And so I didn't tell anybody about this. And this is an example of how big of an idiot I am. I thought, you know, I'll throw the magazine away and that'll get rid of it, right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, Lord. I throw the magazine away. Yeah. And I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to put this behind me. I'm going to just focus on something else. Well, no. When God does this, there is no escaping it. Yeah. It's like it's like Jonah in the belly of a fish. Yeah. You know, it's still there. <laughs> yeah, it ain't going away no, no matter how, how many times so, you throw it away. So, and, and then I'm just obsessing about it. And then finally, I call the publisher and I said, you got to send me this magazine again. And I, so I paid like $35 to have it mailed to me. For a $2 magazine. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. right. You know, this is brilliant. Yeah. So I got the article. And I showed it to my wife. I said, you know, we're going to do this or we're going to try and do this. And what was her reaction? I got I would love to see the look on yeah, her face. She was just like, okay, if you say so, let's, okay, just, all right. I've heard you want to do other things before. Yeah. We'll just see where this goes. What comes Scott, of it, yeah. You know, and okay, that's fine. So I started talking to other people about this thing at my church and around neighbors and people. And then one person told me about another place up in Oregon that has been doing this kind of what I wanted to do. And I thought, okay. I looked on the website. I, you know, I started cyber stalking them and just looking at all this <laughs> stuff and getting to know as much as I can. And it's like, man, they have a really amazing website and program. Well, come to find out, they have a four-day class on how to start one of these things up. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, I am there. Yeah, I got to get there now. I am there. And I was talking to other people that went there and they said, oh, it's awesome. But you got to sign up the day the registration opens because it sells out. Oh, it books so fast. Yeah. Yeah. And they let 100 people in. Oh, that's a huge class. And in a couple of days, it sells out. Yeah. I'm like, Okay. I said, well, it's on, baby. Yeah, we'll put it on the, <laughs> so, put it on the calendar. Yeah. And so I saw the calendar. I saw when the, the, they were going to go into selling the the tickets to, to this thing or reservations for it. And I signed me and my wife up for it. And we went up there. And it was in Bend, Oregon, a place called Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch in Bend, Oregon. And I was not prepared for what I saw up there and what God was doing up there. And I kind of had it in my mind that, okay, we're going to be doing, you know, I had these ideas like what I thought we would be doing. Like I thought, oh yeah, we'll probably do Troubled Boys like that place in New Mexico, except, you know, we'll do it a little differently. And I thought, you have to charge money. How uh, how in the world is this thing going to go if we don't charge money? Yeah. And so... Terribly expensive. Yeah. It's just, it's like, a, it's a, I call it a money vacuum. It's, yeah. You know, so... um and so I went up there and talked to some of the volunteers up there and kind of described what I was thinking about doing. And they said, okay, well, you can do that. And we've tried that. And he goes, both those things would be a disaster in our experience. So he said, the people you want to serve cannot afford to pay anything. They can barely afford to get gas, pay for gas to get to your place. And 
if you focus only on troubled youth, you're st- it's so hard on your staff that you'll go through a lot of staff. Yeah, just burn people out. Right, because every kid comes in with all these issues of stuff going on. So the neat thing about the place in Oregon is they say, we've been doing this for 20 years. Copy what we're doing. We're okay with that. We work on the same team. We work for the same guy. So that saved us untold amounts of heartache Yeah. by them just, and they said, do what we do. They I fo- say, it now, it now makes the 35 bucks you spent on getting that magazine sent yeah, back out worth it, right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, they said, just do what we do. They said, we focus on three kinds of kids. We focus on the at-risk youth. We focus on handicapped, autistic, all those kinds of, we're not like, they weren't equipped to do severely handicapped, mm-hmm. but they could do mildly handicapped. Mm-hmm. And they also sub- serve what they call a normal kid that comes from a two-parent home that maybe goes maybe goes to church. Well, maybe those kids are better at hiding their problems. Yeah. So give some thought, like, I think they're right, you know? Yeah. So they have the experience. I think we should they listen. They might be onto something. Yeah. We should listen and just humble yourself and hear what they have to say. So... I mean, there's people from all over the world in this class in Oregon. I mean, Europe, Australia, all over. And some of them have no idea which end the hay goes into on a horse. And but could they be, That it. could be problematic. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's not a requirement. You have to have a walk with God. You can, you can learn horsemanship, but you can't learn to have that walk with God yeah. if you don't have that. So it was really interesting. Had a great time. It was just amazing. What went on up there? I I had never I, I like I said I was just was not prepared. One of the highlights of of the whole time was when on, I think it was on the third or fourth day they had a sample session, what they called a session. When the kids come in, they call that a session. They had a sample one in front of us, and they had this big huge arena. They had probably probably twenty kids on horses. You know, it's all safe. They, every kid has got a helmet on. Uh, the smaller kids are being led by their, their mentor. I was going to say, these horses have handlers. Yeah. And... Uh, the, the kids that are a little older that can rein themselves, the mentor is right with them, giving them directions on different maneuvers to do. And they had this beach ball. They had this one plastic horse ball that was probably four or five feet tall. Yeah. And they're, they're playing soccer with it. The horses are bumping into it. Oh, that's great. It was amazing. That's great. And the air was just filled with laughter. And it was just... It, it was just a God thing just to, yeah. to watch this unfold. And these kids having such a great time on horses, loving every moment. One child, his name was Dylan, and he was he had cerebral palsy. So uh, he had some brain damage from the birth process where you know not enough oxygen got to his brain. So he had some real challenges and his eyes were kind of rolled back. One eye was rolled back to his head. The other one, not so much. Uh, his hands were kind of contorted and... He had, the mentor was leading the horse. He had one parent on each side holding him in the saddle. And this kid's having a ball. Isn't it incredible to watch? It was. It was incredible to watch. And they're, they're going around. And at one time, he, he, Dylan goes, hey, there's people over there. He finally realized there's people all around this arena. He's like, yeah, wave to him. And he waved to us. We waved back. And when that kid got off, there wasn't a dry eye in the arena. Oh, it's I like, could only imagine. It's like, if you don't get it now... You ain't going to get it at yeah, all. Yeah, go home. Yeah. Yeah. Or you have no soul. Right? <laughs> Something's major is missing. Yeah. So, and and the parents made a comment. They said, you know, everywhere we go, we go, we pull up in our special van with a special wheelchair and all the things that Dylan needs. And most people drop their arms and say, oh, great, Dylan's here. What do we have to do? And said, except when we drive up the driveway here, everybody drops what they're doing. You mob our van like we're some kind of celebrity, rock star. yeah, yeah, and you pull them out, you flop them on a horse, and you guys, you guys just love us, yeah, you just love us. They weren't the parents weren't Christians yet. To me, that image was just everything. It doesn't get more Christ-like than that. He came to serve and save the lost and those that were overlooked by society, like that kid, yeah, and. I thought, man, if, if that's not the gospel, I don't know what it yeah, is. I was going to say, what a great um, earthly depiction, right? Right, right. It's just, it was a great, yeah, just an illustration of how we should be reaching out to those people. That was just amazing to see that kid just so full of joy, just feeling so special. 
you know, and the parents feeling special, like they like, oh, we've been waiting for you. How is he? What's going on? You know, and the parents made a comment also that his motor and speech skills have developed here more than anywhere else. And it's free. We don't understand that. We come here and it's free. We've taken our kid all over the country, paid tens of thousands of dollars for treatments, programs, all this kind of stuff. But we come here and it's free. Well, it's God. Yeah, you know? I was say, it's none of us doing <laughs> right, that. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, so that was a big part of us moving ahead into our own youth ranch. Now, another thing that they tell you up in Oregon at that place is just because you're here doesn't mean you're going to have a youth ranch. If it's not God's plan for you, it's not God's plan. People don't need more of you. They need more of God. Yeah. And so I was comfortable with that. I, I thought, okay, that's that's fine. First of all, I'm going to get home. I'm going to try and find a place that's doing this and go help them. I don't, I would just soon be in the back and not be up front promoting anything like this or speaking for anything like this and just help. Let me go be a mentor. And here and, you are. And shovel, shovel some manure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just let me go be a mentor and hide in the back and shovel some manure and I'm a happy camper. So we came back and we really found nothing going on like exactly what we wanted to do. And there were some places that were kind of close, some places that were kind of uh, doing a few things that were doing, well, they were helping kids like for like a month or two here and there. They were charging. They weren't very Christ-centered, things like that. So we were just kind of looking and praying about, you know, direction. And so finally, I, I was I was talking to everybody at my church about this incessantly. Everyone was like, okay, here comes Scott. He's going to start talking about yeah, that we're horse, hear the thing. horse thing again. Yeah. And they would either be turned off or they were really encouraging me. So uh, some of those early people that were encouraging me became our board of directors. And so we just started having meetings, praying about, you know, our direction. Yes, no, all those kind of things. And going down that journey, you know, and I was still thinking, okay, there's a good chance this will never happen. And I'm okay with that. We went down that road and a couple of just straight up miracles happened like financially miracles. I mean, we had, we've had people donate amazing amounts of money just because they feel led and they believe in this whole thing that's got this whole horse thing and how our community needs it. Now, uh, where I come from in Eastern Tulare County, <clears throat> there is a lot of gangs, a lot of drugs. It's, it was one time and I think I know it's still up there. One of the highest rates of teen pregnancy in the country. Oh, really? Yes. Now, who pays the price for that? The kids. Mom and dad go off and make more kids with the other partners and just keep going on their life. And the kids get left in the aftermath. And I just felt like it's needed in our community. I, that, you know, you talk about the least of these. When Christ talks about, you know, you've come to serve the least of these. It's those kids that are just swept in the back and left that don't even identify as having a home. Psychologists have done studies on these kids that have two-parent homes that spend weekends here and there, and they identify as homeless because home is never at one spot. Home is here for five days, and home is over there for two days. Yeah, They never connect with people because of that behavior and being brought up like that. So a couple things happened uh, on the way just to really show us that this was going to happen, and God had his hand completely in this thing. Every time I was amazed, and every time one of these things that happened was amazed. One of the things that happened on early on, I'll just give you one example, is uh, we had to get our nonprofit status through the IRS so people could donate to us and we could give them a receipt for their taxes. And until then, people don't really care about you know giving you a, you know a whole lot of money because until it's there's just, a benefit for them, right? Right. And I understand that. Yeah. And before then, yeah. Up until then, you're just don't give Scott any money. I mean, what are you talking about? You know. So. Um, a gentleman at my church approached me one day and said, Hey, you know, what's going on with your youth ranch thing? And I said, really nothing. This is like four years ago. At the time we were in the middle of a drought in central California and being a cattle rancher, uh, having my own cattle, I'm selling cows, I'm buying hay, I'm going broke and I'm working my butt off. He asked, you know, what's going on at the youth ranch? I said, nothing. I said, well, I'm just trying to hold it together, hold the ranch together right now. And I can't even think about that. And he said, well, I, I I just feel like I should help you. Like, okay, well. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that. That's great. Thanks. And he said, well, what do you need? I said, well, we need to get our nonprofit status through the IRS. 
And he said, well, how much would that cost? I said, well, it's about $700. And if you could afford another like $250, I would like to hire the bookkeeper from the place in Oregon. She has a side business of helping nonprofits get their status through the IRS. Oh, okay. So the IRS is just, let's just say they're less than enthusiastic to see a Christian nonprofit come through that's not going to pay taxes. Yeah. So I kind of thought that was wise money spent to... Have it done the right way. Yeah, right. By somebody to, that does it professionally. Right. And so I thought that could be pretty cheap. I said, is there any way you could spare about, you know, $950? And he goes, yeah, I'll do that. Oh, geez. And... And it, it, yeah, it, it just floored me because I thought this is money he was going to put in his offering plate at church. Oh, wow. So this is not money to be frivolous with. This is God's money. You're accountable for every penny and you have to answer for every penny of this money. And I told him, thank you, thank you, thank you. I just, I'm so amazed. God bless you and, and all that stuff. And he was really excited about, you know, just helping us out. So <clears throat> next Sunday, he gives me the check and everything's great. And so I went to the website, the IRS website. 17-page application. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we're like seven people sitting around a plastic table. That's all we are right now. (laughs) We're not, like, doing anything. This is a crazy vision rattling around Scott's head. And so uh, we we answered everything as best we could. We were not deceptive in any way. And we... uh, Filled out the application. They wanted to know budgets. They wanted to know commentaries about yeah, business how things, plans and extensions. Right, all this and stuff. And we just filled it out as best we could it, to the best of our knowledge of what we thought. We borrowed a lot of stuff, stuff from the place in Oregon because they're so forthcoming about helping us out. Mailed it off to the lady in Oregon. She was going to look over it and make some changes if necessary and mail it from her spot to, from her place to the IRS. A couple of days later, I got a call from her saying, okay, I mailed it off today. Here's what you can expect from the IRS. She said, uh, you're going to get a postcard in the mail saying, we've got your packet. Don't call us. We'll call you when it gets assigned to an agent and it will get, we will start the process. She said, normally it takes six or eight months to get oh, assigned to an Lord. agent. Yeah. However, because of the 2008 financial crisis, people have started up nonprofits rather than getting jobs and they're a year, they're a year backlogged. Oh no. And like, Okay. All right. Well, now God. you're going to have two other years to think about your plan. Yeah. And and personally, I'm thinking, okay, God, kill it now. Just, <laughs> this is your way out. Take it. Just do me in right now. And I, everybody's good. Yeah. So she goes, you know, about a year, you can expect to hear from them and they'll start the process. They'll, it'll take a couple phone interviews, this stuff back and forth and get it done. And okay, that's fine. Meanwhile, I talked to another couple of people. It took them two years. Some people got denied appealed, denied, appealed, finally got it, you know, took two, two and a half years. And I, okay, what can I do? So 33 days later, my wife gets a letter in the mail from the IRS. I was out in the back of my house working some cattle, doing some stuff. And I see her walking up to me in the middle of the day with an envelope. And my heart just starts racing like, oh man, if she's walking up in the middle of the day, something really, really yeah. bad has just happened. I don't want to know what's in that letter. Yeah. Is this an, are we being audited? What is going on? You know? And she's got this weird look on my fa- on her face. And she goes, hey, got this letter from the IRS, and I think it says we're approved. I'm like, what? I said, well, that's, that doesn't seem seem like a possibility, some what, what I've heard. So I read it. I thought, man, I think it says that too. So we called the lady in Oregon. Lady in Oregon says, no, 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 no. You don't understand them or anything. So take a fax of that and... Send it up to us, we'll read it. She she calls back, she goes, you are approved. So she says, I've never, the lady in Oregon said, I've never seen this happen before. 33 days. She goes, I've been on hold for 33 days on the phone with them. Let alone complete an entire process. Yeah. And she goes, "Uh, just a word, you may want to get ready because maybe God's going to do something. So we saw that as a huge open door to keep pushing ahead with this thing. So that was one of the early on things that we just saw as like, man, that, that, that was not anybody's doing. Yeah. We're on to something here. Yeah. Something, something's going to happen here. So, and then we just started moving ahead. Finally, finally uh, got some big donations in within a month. We had like over unsolicited, like over $300,000 donated to us. Holy smokes. Just who does that? Yeah. It's like a house. Who has that? Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, and again, we thought, okay, why is this happening? Okay. Yeah. Time to get I, to work. I, I, yeah. I'm like, please make it go away. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you've officially <laughs> stepped is, in it at this point. Yeah, I want a way out. But anyway, so, I, okay, we'll move ahead, found a piece of property. Uh, some people really wanted to sell to us, and it was the ideal piece of property. It was a worldwide missions center for people that did medical missions in South America and Africa. And they had like 10 acres and everything that you could need for horses and this big, huge administration building and everything. And so we pursued that. Uh, the only holdup was uh, we had to have it rezoned through the county. And again, I'm thinking this is yeah, where it's going to... Yeah, it's gonna, its own red tape yeah. process. And so uh, we finally got a hearing through the county. The county was dragging their feet. And we couldn't get escrow closed. And we finally got them pressured. We had to have a hearing with all the neighbors show up and everything. And we canvassed the neighborhood, told them what we are, what we wanted to do with it. It's non-residential. It's not like there's going to be kids over there overnight. Yeah. And, and everyone is okay with it. Three days before the hearing, I got in a bad wreck. I got in a really bad wreck. I, I got bucked off my horse. I was managing a ranch next to us that had stalkers on it. And uh, I got bucked off my horse. I broke four vertebrae in my lower back. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Uh, lumbar vertebrae. I broke eight ribs punctured along in my clavicle. Just from coming off the horse? Yeah. You didn't get thrown into something? or no, I hit the ground hard. So Understatement. Yeah, I, I'm living on pain pills, yeah. you know. And so, I, I mean, I just got slammed, you know. And, uh, and right afterwards, I just thought, really, God? Right now? <laughs> really? You couldn't just have my truck not start or something? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so... Uh, I, it was just like, no way I'm going to make this hearing now and present my case. Well, again, God had the perfect person for that, and that was my mom. My mom used to be executive director for Tulare County Farm Bureau for like 20 years. She has an advisory position to the planning commission. She knows all these guys personally. And so she goes up there, slam dunk, got it done, got the property. So that was the last thing that hurdle. And I re then I had the realization that, wait a minute, this is actually going to happen, you know, so... So we really started pursuing the youth ranch thing full-time then. Uh, we remodeled the property. Uh, the property was built, the, the main buildings were built in the mid-80s, and they were decorated in the mid-80s. So we had a lot Perfect. of shag carpet, a lot yeah. of brass fixtures and stuff like that. So early on, we hired a, the one employee, or we hired a director to run the thing day in and day out. I already have a full-time, well, at least a part-time job with my, the cattle ranch. Mm -hmm. And I know my limits. I know what I am and what I'm not. And we hired uh, a gentleman that was a close friend of mine. Well, he was our youth pastor at our church, but he was just six or seven years younger than me. And he was a youth pastor. He's also a Finnish carpenter that was been in the construction business. So a perfect match made in heaven yeah. with this guy remodeling yeah. everything for pennies on the dollar. And he's been a huge blessing to the ministry. So he runs it day, to, day in and day out uh, full time. So... And so now we have the youth ranch in place. So a little bit about this, how it works is we're non-denominational, non-profit youth ranch. And the city we're located is in Wood Lake, California, just east of Isalia in the foothills. And what we do is we take kids in from 6 to 18. First thing we do is we interview them and the parents and kind of find out what the home life is like. And parents can mean grandparents, foster parents, whoever is in charge of that Basically kid. A guardian of that child. Right. And we kind of want to know the history of how we can best minister to this kid. And we kind of evaluate them and match them up with the best mentor that we think will be a good fit. So, and again, we copied everything, 90% of what we do from the place in Oregon. And we give them a 90-minute, what we call a session. In that 90-minute session, uh, depending on where the kid is spiritually, the first... 10 or 15 minutes, we have what we call our counsel time. So uh, if they don't believe in God, we just talk about things that could convince them that, you know, things around us that show that there is proof. Uh, kind of like Romans chapter one. It's just like all around us, there's proof. Yeah, open that, your eyes. Son. Right. Just look around. Uh, if they do, then we try to get them to walk closer to God. A lot of kids may say, oh, oh yeah, I know about God. Well, you ask them, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people right. that walk on that uh, right. on earth that can't answer exactly. that question. So. Uh, we come across a lot of kids that go to church that don't know their Bible. So it's like, okay, well, we're going to give you a Bible. We're going to look at these verses. We're going to dive into this stuff and talk about some of the stuff that's really going on. We try to just best connect with them as much as we can. And then after the 15-minute council time, we do about a 10-minute chore. This is a ranch. 
there's work to do. We want them to invest in something before they get something back. So there's weeds to hoe, there's poop to shovel, there's all these things that need to be done. And it's just a little little thing to get them to invest in the ranch. After they're done with that, they have the opportunity to choose their next activity from all that we offer. So we do have horses. Uh, we have designed our horse program off of the 4-H horse program, which is very thorough. Parts of the horse, parts of the saddle, there's training. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can go with that. That's very, very useful. So we have the horse program and that can go a long time. We have a horticulture program where, hey, if the kid's into gardening, you're going to get your own little garden. You can plant carrots. Oh, cool. and, yeah, they can yeah. farm a little bit. Right. I mean, it's awesome watching a kid pull a carrot out of the ground and put it right in his mouth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, so there's, there's this whole horticulture thing where they can learn plants, all the stuff, you know, and we have mentors that are like in charge of different areas. And, and like we have whole books on all the planning of what to plant when and where and how and know what next to and all that kind of stuff. We have a big craft program where they can paint, they can make slime, they can make all these fun stuff, you know, and uh, whatever they want to do. There's all these prearranged things. We have a wood shop, make birdhouses, things like that. With that, the birdhouses thing, like, you know, you get a measuring tape out. Kids don't know fractions nowadays. Yeah. What's six and a half? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, you get to go through a lot of things like that. It has practical applications now. We have a, what we call a creepy crawly area. And that's just like bugs and crickets and snakes and stuff that little boys, six, seven-year-old, eight-year-old boys love to just- Yeah, probably go nuts. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll make a little, you know, bug container and that they get to take home, poke some holes in the lid, and we'll go out there and catch crickets and cockroaches and yeah. send it home to mom. <laughs> Probably loves the program yeah, now. That's right. You're never coming back. Yeah, you. exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, we have a pond right next door where we get to do fishing. And they catch a little bluegill and there's bass in there. And there's a lot of these boys have never been fishing before in their life. You know? I wonder how many have just experienced out, like outdoors in right. general. Right. Right. Uh, right. Well, we have a petting zoo because of that. Like some of these kids are freaked out of anything other than a cat or dog. We've got a petting zoo with some, there are some llamas in there, some goats, sheep, a bunch of stuff in there. That's just friendly stuff. And these kids realize, oh, this thing's not going to eat me. Or yeah, kill exactly. Me. So, and it can help them to learn to get along with a horse because they can graduate up to Builds a horse. their confidence. Right, right. So, uh, oh, we also have another program. It's like electronics. Like we make things, we have soldering irons and we can make little electrical projects and stuff like that. It's like whatever the kid wants to do, that's what we do. Some kids want to come and just play a board game. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So, and during their time, we try to incorporate the gospel whenever we can. There are so many examples that we can do, you know, like when we're doing a project, it's like, oh, hey, you know what? There's a story in the Bible, like they did something like this or something, and, you know, and just bring that in. So the kid gets this hour and a half session every other week. They'll see, you know, in two weeks later, we have them in again. We kind of pick up where we left off. And a lot of this is just relational and getting the kid to know you and like you and accept you and feel comfortable with you. And that takes a long time. So a lot of these kids nowadays have been kind of burnt by adults. And so it's like, why do you care? You know, they, yeah. it takes it's a foreign while. concept for right, them. Right. Why do you care? Why do you even want to, you know, learn about me or care about my problems? So you can't force that, that force them to like you or anything like that. And that takes a lot of time, but over time over, you know, like they may have to come back five, six, six, eight sessions, like just like five, six months down the road. They'll start to feel comfortable, and then they'll start confiding in you what's going on in their life. That's when the ministry really starts. Because, and, and I've had this before, I've been down at the pond fishing with this kid, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, this kid starts unloading on you. Like, mom's doing this, and dad's doing that, and and you're just trying to act normal. Like, and all right, buddy, let's go fish. And okay, and then like you're just taking it all in and not trying to react, and like, okay, now what do I do? With now this we're getting guy? somewhere. Yeah. Right. Right. Now this kid finally, and then it's amazing because they actually do want help. They want to, if you, if they totally know that you care and trust them and love them, they, they will take your advice. And so, but until then you're just kind of waiting this thing out. So uh, that's really difficult because especially being men, we want to fix stuff right now. Oh, yeah. I don't want to wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've had kids just do, like four or five months later, just all of a sudden give me all this information and it's like, wow, okay. And you just like, okay, Lord, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? 
man, and, and you just thank him for telling me that and, and going from there. So that's when things really kind of get ramped up as far as the ministry part of it. We're just kind of waiting until then. It just takes a lot of patience. So I think some of the really neat things, though, like with the horses, though, is watching horses, witnessing help, horses helping kids regularly. And we see this. We have one little autistic boy that comes in, and he was so sensitive to everything around him. I mean, you couldn't touch him, you know? And like eight months later, I saw this boy on a horse, which doesn't sound like anything yeah. to you and me. But to him, this was a life-changing experience. The world of development. It, yeah. Because he was like, and he was having fun. He was laughing. And I thought, man, you know what? I think I think I just saw a glimpse of the kingdom of God, of this kid. And, and, and I was watching the mentors interact with him, and he was having a great time. And I thought... I can't believe I'm watching this. It's just Cause, pure joy. Right, because I, I know the background. And seeing this kid move up and just, first of all, he couldn't even touch a horse because it was just, it moved and it was fuzzy and there's all these sensory things going on. So um, that was, it was really amazing to see that. Also, a lot, of, a lot of boys, a lot of kids in general today are angry. I don't blame them. So a lot of times they're angry. They're not even angry at the right person, but they're angry. Working with a horse Anger doesn't go anywhere. So I think I, I've seen how working with horses, especially like in a round corral, can help kids learn patience and how that it, you can't act angrily at that horse if he turns the wrong way or goes the wrong direction or doesn't follow your instructions because it's your fault. You didn't communicate in a way that he would understand. They have to learn how to, you know, body position and their, their stance and all these things that really matter because horses are, they're visual. They're, they don't care about what you say. They're visual and they're and they take their cues off of that. And so I've seen a lot of, especially boys that are angry, learn a lot of patience and communication in like a round corral. And it's been hugely valuable for us uh, putting boys in there, you know, and you can just watch them and just say, when you're ready to ha get that horse to do what you want to do, just let me know. Because what you're doing isn't going to work. And it's never going to work. Yeah. Because you're not presenting it in a way that he understands. The only person that understands that is you. And if it's not working on him, that's useless. And I think it's great when you when you use that analogy right there, or that that drill. You're letting those kids find themselves, right? Find right. that threshold, right? Because right. oftentimes they don't they don't have the threshold, or they don't know where it is, and they fly off the handle and have these irrational right. emotions or irrational responses because they're not developed. So you are almost fostering some of that development right. in them. Yeah, uh, and they're so used to being told what to do all the time. It's like you know what? I'm going to wait until you're ready. Yeah, you you figure this out. Yeah, right. We'll be here and we'll help you through yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. You know, you're 12 years old and you think you know everything. Go Show for us. it, buddy. Show yeah. us. And when you're ready to really learn something, I'm right here, ready to help you out. And so that can be kind of embarrassing to them, and they want to look cool. So you know, I'm going to go and ask you for some help. But we have about 10 horses on property, and they're all uh, really neat thing is they're all kind of they're dude horses that are from a pack station in the summertime. We're closed in the summertime, and the owner of the horses takes them up there in the mountains in the backcountry and puts uh, dudes on them and goes on these pack trips. In the wintertime, when we're open, we get to feed 10 of his head, which are super gentle and super nice. It's been a great partnership for us, but they all have different personalities, and you know all their personalities. We have seen horses pick kids. A lot of times, when like the first day a kid comes out, we'll just give them a tour of the whole branch and let them see everything. You know, look at the each area and see if they want to do that or something or talk about it and try to raise interest or just get to know the kid, hang out with them. And then we'll walk out through the horse pasture and all these horses come up. And sometimes you'll see one horse do something that you've never seen before. Like all of a sudden this horse that is all standoffish is all over this kid. And, the, and the, sometimes the kid's like, what's he doing? Yeah, it's like, what's going on right now? Yeah. Well, you know what? He likes you. This horse really likes you. He's chosen to be with you rather than all these other horses because you're a special kid. Wow. Nobody says I'm special. Yeah. This horse thinks you're special. And we have seen that happen so many times. Like, what's that horse doing? Like, I don't know, but that's the match. And when he comes, when that kid comes out, if he's going to ride, he's going to ride that horse because those two have got something going on. So it's really amazing to see how that works out. So one other thing that uh, I want to touch on too, that we saw up in Oregon when I went up there the first time is uh, being raised like I was on a cattle ranch, rough horses, you know, treating them like 
tools. The old cowboy way, right? right? The old cowboy way, beating them into submission and everything. We always thought that horse rescue was a joke. Like, why in the world would you rescue a horse? There's millions of horses out there. Just go get yourself another one. Why fix up something that's broken? And we saw that horses as a tool. Tool gets broken, throw it away. Up there in Oregon, they showed us how if you take a wounded, neglected, abused horse and pair it with a wounded, neglected, abused kid, those two can go places you cannot imagine. They understand each other. And you can show pictures of this kid, uh, to the the kid of this horse when he came in. Look, Look at, starved to death, beaten. Someone is supposed to take care of this horse. Just like you. Someone's supposed to take care of you. They didn't. But look at this horse now. He's healthy. He's happy. He's rubbing on you on his neck and just wants to be scratched. He can recover. That kid can recover. And those kids can find a lot of hope in that story and in that process. And those two can go places a therapist could never scratch the surface on. And it's funny. I mentioned this in previous episodes, and I I truly believe it, but the horse can do for the human what modern medicine can't. That's right. In, in certain scenarios, right? That's absolutely true. And yeah. it's tough because we don't have the scientific data to support any of that. But until you get out and you either immerse yourself in it and experience it for yourself, or you're around one of these programs, uh, such as your ranch and your facility, and see it firsthand, it's kind of a hard concept to wrap your wrap your head around. But I, I truly I truly believe it's it's gospel. Yeah, it's 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 a thing. I mean, it's a thing. So, Absolutely. Uh, it, and it's just and to watch it, to be a witness to it, it's just you just feel so like like you're just seeing the gospel lived out right in front of you. It's surreal. Yeah, it is. It's like I, I I'm just you just go home so thankful that you got to sh- yeah that was shown to you today. You were a witness of it, right? Yeah. Right, and it just makes you want to do that much more. Yeah. So so tell people the name of your facility is Crown Valley Youth Ranch. Yeah, Crown Valley Youth Ranch in Woodlake, California. Our web address is crownvalleyyouthranch.org. Nice and long. And uh, uh, there's all kinds of information on there. Uh, if you have a troubled child in your area, uh, you know, I know we're in Central California, but you can go to like you can go to the website of the place in Oregon, Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch in Oregon. They have a ranch locator for ranches like us. There could be one in your area that you can possibly contact for help or support or whatever you want to do. So uh, it's really a huge, big network of ranches that do kind of what we're doing, uh, kind of that have kind of taken the lead from the place in Oregon. So we can just, you know, go out and branch out and help as many kids as possible. So it's just uh, really my role as as the founder is just, it's just a huge privilege. I, I just love being a part of it. I, I kind of truly wish I was more in the back more. You know, I, I, and why is that, if you don't mind me asking? I, I, I'm not a people person. Well, I, I, was, I relate to animals much better. I feel more comfortable speaking or you know, hanging around with a bunch of cows, moving some cows or something like that, than talking to a group of people. When I was younger, I always thought, I'm just going to have a couple ranches and work that and hide out. Yeah. And live my life like that. Play the supporting role. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and be in the background. And and that's kind of always, I've always done that like three other organizations. I've also been the backup person or the person that, you know, gets to clean the toilet or something like that. But uh, anyway, but here I am. Honestly, and what I just tell myself, I'm, I'm just going to do it for the kids. I want to do it because I want to help some kids out there. And then we do help kids and that's just payday. Yeah. You know, we've seen kids... Uh, make commitments to Christ. We've had parents make commitments to Christ because we we minister to them also when they're at our place. We can't just fix the kid and throw them back in that home. We need to fix the whole family. It's great so, that you guys take a systemic approach to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we live, or our, our, our ranch is probably about 30 minutes outside of the town of Visalia, where a lot of our kids come from. So the fact is, a lot of the parents are going to wait for their kid while they're there. And we have this whole parent lounge for them to wait. And there's toys in there in case there's a younger brother or sister and little mm-hmm. kids books and stuff for them to wait. And we have, we always have a volunteer that's job is to minister to the parent because we got to help the parent out. Yeah. And that's another aspect that, and it works, it, it, it works. So it's just, it's really amazing. No, it's great. It's great. And it, I just think in, in going back through your story, there's, there's so many life lessons that have been learned and, and some of them are learned by yourself. And I think you've done a great job in, in kind of taking your lumps and helping other folks so they don't have to uh, weather those storms. But I mean, you spent thirty five dollars 
<laughs> to get a magazine sent back to you. Right. <laughs> and it could have been the most fruitful investment of your life. That's right. You know, and, and with God's prompting of that whole thing, of not letting it rest, you know, you've probably done things before you're obsessed for a week or two, and then it's gone, you know? Well, oh, absolutely. Instead, this just ramps up worse and, and it worse. it burns in you. Yeah, right. And, you know, people tell you about things, and it's just like everything just, you can't get off of it. Yeah. And there's no relief until you relent to what he wants you to do. And that's what I learned. It's like, you just got to go with it. Even with our youth ranch right now, the question is, how long will it be around? I don't know. But if we close doors right now, we've already been a success because we've changed some kids' lives. Absolutely. And if God says, hey, you're done, we're done. Okay. Hey, I've been obedient to this point and we're out of here and that's good. Well, on to the next thing. Yeah. So, And it's funny because I think back on my story and and obviously healing through horsemanship is a big deal for me and is a huge motivator for this podcast and my journey and my approach to horses. And in thinking through that and, and experiencing it, I mean, when I had my light bulb moment, realized the value of it, I was like, God, I got to share this with everybody. I don't care if you want it or not. If you're willing to listen, right. I'm going to open the door. Now it's up to you to step through it or not, yeah. but I'll at least open the door. So I, I understand where you're coming from, that burning, that burning desire, that burning emotion, right? The motivation to get moving on with it. And that's the one of the premises of this podcast right here is that there's there's so many guests on this show who are telling their stories and those stories are going to be heard by hopefully a lot of people out there, right? Across America. It doesn't matter. This is probably going to come off wrong, but it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. We're not going to feel sorry for you. We're not going to we're not going to make excuses for you. We've all been there in some regard of that spectrum. But there's plenty of people that are out there that love you, that want to help you, that are willing to invest in you, that at least change, like you talked about, that small change in perspective mm-hmm. is what changed your tide completely. Like That's why we do what we do here at the podcast, to show folks that it's just one itty-bitty change in perspective. And we're here for you, no matter who you are or where you come from. And that makes your testimony. All those dumb mistakes make your testimony. Me having a fight with my dad and being a jerk for years, that's part of my testimony because I can look back and see where I was wrong. And and out of all that, even the horrible things I did, God forgave me. And I can share that with other people who are maybe in the same situation or have come out of that like like me and, and you know, to, for the better. And looking back and saying, man, looking back and saying, man I'm glad I went through that. Yeah. There was a purpose yeah. in that. Yeah. It hurt at the time. It was ugly at the time. And I, I'm not proud of that, but it's all part of me. And the greatest part is that you went through it now, not letting the experience happen in vain. Right. Right. There's substance, there's value to it. And I think about it with faith, right? Faith is probably one of the hardest life lessons to learn, like true blind faith. And you go through life and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's less than <laughs> desirable, right? Right, right. But when you truly invest yourself in faith and you're truly immersed in it, there's a lesson to be learned, but the hardest part is that we oftentimes don't know what that lesson is. Or it's it's 15 years down the road, we understand what that lesson is. Well, like, you know, I went to that first horse clinic in 84, and it took 32 years for yeah. me to turn around and do something, Yeah, you know? Every once in a while, I'd see something on the TV, there people would be doing something with horses. i think, oh yeah, remember that? I was going to do something with that. Yeah. And I forget about it, you know, but at the time wasn't right. And that's what I was just going to allude to, that for whatever reason, your time wasn't it. Yeah, right. And uh, anyway, it, it worked out. So No, it's great. It's great. So once again, we thank you very, very much for coming out and sharing your story. Uh, I like to give every guest the opportunity at the end of an episode to add any final words or final thoughts you would like to share with anybody. Yeah, uh, you know, whether you believe in God or not, He's still there. He still cares about you com- just completely, uh, no matter what you've done. There's forgiveness there. There's reconciliation there. I just pray that you would go down that road and look at yourself. And, you know, we've all made mistakes. None of us are perfect. And just go with that. You know, life is very short. And sometimes life is very cheap in this country. So there's just kids out there that are that need help. I just love it when people help kids. Kids are literally dying now. And it that, that desperation breaks my heart. It really does. When I was a kid... Suicide was never an option. Now, nowadays it is, and it's used far too much. So that's just all I have to say is just, you know, you got to just work this thing out and serve however, wherever that, whatever that looks like. And it's not, doesn't look like anything that you think you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes <laughs> it, the story's written for you. Yeah, he's going to put it there 
and you're going to have to go with it and have that faith that it will work out. So anyway, if you could look us up on crownvalleyyouthranch.org, uh, shoot us a message or something if you heard this thing. <laughs> Hopefully somebody hears it, yeah. at least one person, right? Yeah, at least my wife. Yeah. <laughs> or my mom. Awesome, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good but stuff. No, well, I want to thank you, Jason, for having me on. No, it's uh, great. Really, thank really you for, for your investment in others. Thank you for making the trip up here and, and doing this in studio. And obviously, I'm looking forward to getting back and riding with you again here in the next few weeks. And, and God bless you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash let freedom reign podcast. Again, we thank you and we'll see you on the next one.